Let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said this morning that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said this morning that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. Some days it feels like everything is collapsing, doesn't it? What is there to save us? Where can we find hope? How will it all get figured out? What can we believe in? I mean, believe in love. Let me tell you a true story about the ingenuity of love. Reverend Thomas Love. Thomas Love was the second pastor of a certain church organized in 1722. I once served this church as pastor, but its first official pastor, William McKinnon, came along in 1755 and began his service in what would later be known as McKinnon's Church. And he served a mere 54 years until his death in 1809 when he was 90 years old. For the following 16 years, McKinnon's Church was listed as a church that could not support a pastor. But then on December 1st, 1825, Love was ordained and installed at the little church when he was all of 29 years old. And Love had a great deal of ingenuity. The history tells us that he purchased a 50-acre farm for $1,300 and raised its value to $6,000. In 1831, he held a successful revival that led to a significant increase of membership. And in 1832, he took up a collection and sent letters to support the freedom of slaves. In 1834, the first African-American was admitted for membership at his church. And if that's not enough, love made history when he hosted a meeting of the presbytery early in his ministry. And the minutes of that meeting tell us that for the very first time, presbytery entertained without ardent spirits. Tea substituted. We know this minute must have made him proud because when Thomas Love first came to live in what would later become known as Loveville, five taverns served within a mile of his home. But by the time of his death in 1879, only one remained. All we can assume from the ingenuity of Thomas Love Reverend Love's biggest challenge, though, came in 1853. By then, the original church building was 92 years old and in complete disrepair. Built in 1761, it was a stone building with a brick floor. That is, until May of 1853, when Thomas Love led a team in tearing it down. Little did he know it would tear the church in two. Was it the loss of that building that caused the great disruption? Was it the cost of the new construction, $2,900, that sent the membership into 
a spiral? Was it the spot chosen to frame up the new worship space? Probably it was all of the above and more that led a serious contingent of his church's members to split and join another church com community not three miles from his new construction. At one time, the sanctuary split the church. It wasn't reformed doctrine or political position. It wasn't sacramentology or decision from the National Church Office. It was a room, as it turns out, one of my favorite rooms in the world, as I once served there as pastor. A room where spirits are lifted and the good news is heard. A room where minds are inspired and families are reunited. That room once tore a community in half. But God has a way of finding us when we are torn in two with the ingenuity of his love. In today's text, that ingenuity is expressed as he finds Jesus in the wilderness when he was being torn in two by the temptations of Satan and brings him aid by way of the angels. Have you ever noticed how God does the same for us when we are being split in two? It's tough to see it, you know. It's tough to see those angels in the middle of it, but have you ever noticed how God responds so masterfully to those things that tear us in half? How he responds with the ingenuity of love? Almost anyone that has experienced a death in the family or a sudden illness can attest to this. In the moments of our deepest pain, we are so often surprised by the outpouring of God-shaped love that comes in the form of reunited family, generous friends, and patient employers. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he is being torn in two. The super apostles mentioned in the 11th chapter have emerged in Corinth and landed a monetary relationship with the Christians there, and now they're questioning the validity of Paul's authority. In chapters 10 and 11, Paul recalls the apostolic bullying, how they are launching every hateful criticism imaginable to bring down his reputation. They call him a cheat, a poor communicator. They call him a weakling. So when we hear what he has to say today in the 12th chapter, it's important to know that Paul really feels he's in danger of losing his church and his reputation. He's being torn in two. He even uses the Greek word scolops to describe how he's feeling. It's the only time that word is used in the Bible, and the NRSV translates this as a thorn in his flesh, which to our minds sounds like a, a minor irritant something easily pulled out, not a big deal. Thorn, not so fast. When Cassius Dio writes of Rome's history in the second and third century, he tells how the Romans had dug secret pits in the places which were passable for horses and had fixed stakes, or in Greek, scolops in them. Afterward, making the whole resemble on the surface the surrounding ground, thus horses and man falling into them to a gruesome death, absolutely without warning. That's a scholar. Theodora Siculus, who wrote history at about the same time Paul wrote his letter, used the word scholops to describe the kind of stake that Digilus, the king of the Thracians, 
used for torturing and impaling. But in Paul's case, the scolops, otherwise described in Greek literature as an inhuman instrument of agony, is not wielded by a mere human king, but like with Jesus in the wilderness by Satan. And so you see, when Paul says he has a thorn, it isn't that he has an ouchie that needs to be pulled out. It's that he's literally being torn in two by a cosmic enemy. Do you know that feeling? The one of being torn in two by something bigger than you? The one where it seems like some cosmic enemy is working against you? The one where it seems like something bigger than yourself is out to get you and keeping you from getting ahead, getting higher, getting honest, getting happy, getting hopeful, getting home. In his masterpiece novel, Jaber Crow, Wendell Berry weaves a compelling story from the simple turns in the long life of a man named Jaber. Of all of Barry's rural narratives, the most desperate one, the one that most tears his character into is that of Jaber and his romantic heartbreak. Poor Jaber. He is an introverted, balding bachelor barber and he watches as Maddie Keith Chatham, an attractive neighbor girl, grows up and marries a local basketball star and bears, rears, and begins burying their children. She ages and she dies, and all at a, a distance from him. And Jaber reflects on this entire lifetime of watching the love of his life find a home without him. He says, sometimes I knew in all my mind and heart why I had done what I had done, and I welcomed the sacrifice. But there were times, too, when I lived in a desert and felt no joy and saw no hope and could not remember my old feelings. And then I lived by faith alone, faith without hope. And what good did I get from it? I got to have love in my heart. For that, all the tearing in two for Jaber was worth it just to love her. And we nod with Jaber because that's what we need. Love. Real love makes all the tearing apart quite worth it. It is why we commit to, to be family together or friends together or church together, even when it's not easy to be anything together. We get to love. We get to have love in our hearts. In all of our relationships, we bring different sets of preferences and opposing hopes for the future. We cling to one tradition while another person prioritizes another even in our churches, just as it was with Thomas Love, how we build them and decorate them can tear us in two. And what good do you get from it? You get to have love in your heart. 
over and against every inclination to give up on the people we care about. We stay together because we know that the same angels that tended to Jesus are here in our midst. God finds a way to find us where we are torn in two, and God loves us. We are loved by God. We are loved by one another, and we know like Jaber knew, like Jesus did when the angels showed up in that moment of need, there is something otherworldly about the ingenuity of love. Maybe today's visit from the angels, how God found him when he was being torn in two, maybe that is part of why Jesus did what he did. Because his story goes that there once was a man who went to a faraway land to tell all the people about the most perfect love. And it didn't take long before he fell in love with those people from that faraway land. And truth be told, it was kind of the way he did things. Once they knew he loved them, the people told the man about how much it hurt to be poor and to be sad, to mess up, to lose someone, to get life wrong, to fall short of their dreams. They told them about all the other kinds of thorns that tore them apart, the pressures of life that split him and split them in two. He really did love them. So sometimes, he miraculously made those thorns disappear. He could even do this just by touching them or even speaking to them. But mostly he listened and he taught them how to endure the thorns for themselves by being true friends to one another. I know this would have endeared him to you and me. And all oh, those people, they said that they loved him back, but deeds don't always follow words. So when the authorities grew angry at him and put together a plan to have him killed, the people stood by and watched. Some even cheered. But before they did, and without their knowledge, he carried out an ingenious plan. He gathered up their thorns, all the things that tore them apart all of them for once and for all and he pulled he pulled them and he formed them and he shaped them into a crown a crown of thorns and he wore it on his head and as he did he declared mastery of those thorns forever of those thorns of our thorns Lord over them forever. This is the gospel, and it's the very best of news. Ours is the Lord of everything, every thorn, every life in and amidst everything that might tear us in two. God's perfect embodiment of the ingenuity of love. So whatever is collapsing, whatever thorn is piercing, Believe in that love. Amen.